0: we mm-hmm. This is Chris. Welcome to episode 19 of X-Lapsed, where we are moving on in to the second issues of the Wave 1 Dawn of X books. And we're starting with X-Men number 2, or X-Men volume 5 number 2, or legacy number, what would it be, 646? I, I don't know. I won't even mention legacy numbers anymore, unless they show up on the cover again. Uh, so, X-Men number 2, we'll just say that. January 2020, cover date. is called Summoner. Written by Jonathan Hickman, with pencils by Lionel Francis Yu, inks by Jerry Allen Gillen, colors by Sonny Go, letters VCs Clayton Cowles. designs Tom Muller, edits, Bezel White Cover price is only three dollars and ninety nine cents. And I never thought I'd see the day where I said where I would say a comic book is only four dollars. But here we are. We've had uh, this is the cheapest book we've covered yet. Uh, went on sale November thirteenth, twenty nineteen. So let's hop right in. We open at Summer House, with Cyclops looking to draft his kids into going on a mission with him. And it doesn't take much convincing. Then again, heading out with Dad is probably a bit more fun for the Summer's kids than staring into a giant lava lamp that they're sitting next to, which looks very dull. Uh, We get a double-page spread of creds. Then we meet our cast for the issue, and, well, we've already met them. It's Cyclops, Prestige, and Cable. Now, the deal here is, another island has been spotted somewhere in the distance, and now Krakoa itself is pulling itself toward it. It's worth noting that they can't have Doug Ramsey ask the island why it's approaching this new island, since he's off in space, so I do enjoy this continuity. It's letting us know that everything's happening, (laughs) so uh, we're not wasting our time reading some of these books. So I do love the continuity. Um, it's also uh, Cyclops. Uh, he takes the uh, you know the full blame for giving the New Mutants the thumbs up to hop on the Starjammer to head out to uh, Shi'ar space to visit uh, Sam. Now, Cyclops here is acting a bit, I don't know, goofy dad a little bit. Um, kind of weird. Uh, it feels like he's kind of playing into like a suburban dad stereotype, and I'm really not sure I like it. Anyway... The summer z- 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 come within sight of this new island, and it's got a volcano in the middle that looks like a more like a gate to hell, complete with like a Lovecraftian horror tentacly thing spewing from the mound. Now they land, and the kids point out what a great job Scott did landing the jet, which for some reason prompts him to talk about how much therapy he's endured over the years, which feels forced and goofy. Uh, it's like I almost expect there to be a laugh track or like... Like, you know, put his hands on his hip, you know, cock to the side and look at the camera. Am I supposed to feel like he's out of character, or am I just being hypersensitive here? I don't know. Now, Rachel does like a teleswipe of the area, and only comes back with uh, readings of normal fauna and regular wildlife. Except, of course, for that big old Lovecraftian volcano, of course. Uh, She describes the presence as being human-ish. Now the summer is make their way through the foliage, looking kind of like a scene out of Lost or something. Rachel mentions how beautiful the scenery is, which causes Scott to suggest, hey, let's all go to Hawaii to see some real nice scenery. Rachel says she's been there, but only in the far-flung future where everything was, you know, a burning mess. Scott says they gotta go, but then remembers a place in Shi'ar space that she might like better. As luck would have it, it's an island in Chandalar, which is uh, where Cannonball lives, right? Now did I gotta ask, did Hickman, like, create Chandelar? I can't imagine why we'd be getting so many, well, well, two mentions of it in these books. Just seems a weird place to keep citing. Anyway, after the vacation chat wraps up, they happen across a rhinoceros with a third eye marking. Cable takes aim, but remarks that whatever it is, doesn't look like a meat eater. Then, some of those tentacles and a big old gaping mouth emerge from off-panel to eat the poor vegetarian rhinoceros. The summer is z- 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 take aim and start blasting at the horror. We shift scenes to a place called the Iraq Maw, which I'm going to assume is like deep in the bowels of that volcano, since uh, we're seeing some lava. It stands to reason that it's in the volcano. There's also a weird-looking fella here. He's completely white, besides a marking on his chest, and he's got uh, some big old black bleeding eyes, looking like he's, wanna, he's hanging out with a path over in Fallen Angels. This is a summoner, or a high summoner, and so we follow this scene into a, an info page, telling us all about them. Oh, the summoners, not this one in particular. It's not one of the interesting ones, uh, though it does mention Arako, or Arako, which was that other island from Krakoa's origin story from Hoxpox. Pox. Um, last we heard, however, was uh, Arako was sealed away somewhere else by Apocalypse and the Horsemen, right? Um... We rejoin our X-Men, riding some rhino mounts across the island, and we learn that uh, they were able to best that tentacled beast. And uh, Cable even regard- remarks that he took a bite out of it. As they continue their ride, they are greeted by... that weirdo summoner, who pops right up through the ground. He greets them, however, there's a language problem. The summoner speaks in an almost song-like language, while, he- while only hearing the mutant's words as harsh grunts. Cable offers the summoner a gift in the form of a grenade. Uh, the summoner is pleased, but curious, and so he starts pressing all the buttons on the boom ball until, well, the ball goes boom. Cable didn't know what he expected to happen, but he's pretty sure that wasn't going to be it. Uh, this is pretty dumb, <laughs> I'm guessing this is supposed to be funny, and I suppose it kind of is, but it just seems... I don't know, just doesn't seem tonally right. Uh, now the summoner is, naturally, quite displeased with being blown up and so calls forth all sorts of horror, along with some shadowy warriors with similar markings on their chest as the summoner himself, which, I mean, duh, the X-Men have to fight. Rachel has the idea to try to download their Krakoan language into the summoner in hopes that they'll be able to communicate and get him to call off the attack, which is exactly what she does, and wouldn't you know it, it works. The summoner and Cable then clear up the, you know, grenade confusion. Then Cyclops explains the situation regarding a Krakoa's approach. Remember, they don't know why Krakoa would be drawing near and are expecting the worst. The summoner is none too bothered, and he asks Cyclops if he loves anybody. Scott gets all coy here and says, sure, you know, for argument's sake, yes, I do love, quote, a single someone. The summoner asks if Cyclops wants to be with that single someone, and Cyclops confirms, duh, yeah, of course he does. The summoner gives the thumbs up and suggests that Scott will understand what Krakoa is up to. And so, not soon after, Krakoa arrives And, uh, well, maybe bangs the other island Or maybe they're just merging Whatever the case When all said and done, it's just like my favorite Spice Girl song Two Become One The summoner goes to walk away And Cyclops asks, what's next? Next The summoner reveals that he's going to be living here Because, well, he lives here Who's he? Well, it won't take us long to find out uh, We'll actually find out right after the next info page here and this info page is an updated map of Krakoa with the addition of the new bits from the Arak Coral. Now with that out of the way, we rejoin our weirdo summoner friend, who walks his way into the foliage before meeting Apocalypse. Or I mean, uh, The big blue guy recognizes the summoner's seed. The summoner warns that an enemy has come and Arakko will soon fall. Ayyyyy asks who the summoner's mother is, to which we find out he's the son of the horseman War. We wrap up with an embrace, and a eh, promising to save all of his children. That being those on Krakoa and those of Arako. And that's where we leave it. The next book we discuss is Excalibur number two. Well, that was a quickie, huh? <laughs> let's, let's talk about it. Um, this was not what I was expecting. I really wanted there to be a little more focus on the X-Men. I mean... I know it's still early, but we don't even have a team yet, right? Uh, Is this X-Men book, like this core X-Men book, is it going to be like an X-Men spotlight on? Or like solo X-Men, like they had solo Avengers back in the day? Like, is this going to be just like a rotating... I mean, I can get behind that, I guess, but it just feels... uh, I don't know, those kind of issues always felt a little throwaway to me. And, And again, I know we're very early into this era, but this... We get some stuff here, but it kind of felt like a throwaway. Um, that could just be me, and maybe what I was expecting to get out of these issues, especially you know the flagship, you know, straw that stirs the drink book here in X Men. Uh, let's let's put a pin on that, and we'll uh, let's talk about Cyclops. I can't really say I dug his depiction here. Uh, he came across to me as like an uncanny version of a sitcom dad. He's making like weird jokes and references. It just didn't feel Cyclopsy to me. Has he? I mean, has he been like this since returning from the dead? Whenever, whenever was it was that that happened, because uh, I I don't know. This is uh, these past couple of issues have been my reintroduction to Cyclops, and I don't mean coming back from the dead during you know House of X, Powers of X. I mean that last time, <laughs> because last I was following X Men was right before Scott's death, or well, I mean he was already d- he was dead, but it was before we found out how he died, because, like, they stretched that reveal out to a point where, like, even I, as like a huge Cyclops, fan just didn't give a rat's ass anymore. Then again, it involved the humans, which is like, to me, basically the Webster's dictionary definition of things I don't give a rat's ass about, uh, no matter how hard Marvel tries. Um, now a few listeners have expressed a bit of trepidation about whether or not Xavier might have tinkered with some of the resurrectees, and. Uh, I mean, reading this here and seeing how weird Cyclops is acting, I can't help but feel the same way. Uh, you know, something definitely stinks here. I'm just not sure exactly what it is. Like, I feel more like we're not getting a whole, th- all the story here, you know? Um, which is fine, of course. Uh, uh, something else uh, that uh, I was a bit, maybe not worried about, but just, you know, caused me to raise an eyebrow. Uh, the. Uh, This pertains to Cyclops, you know, saying all coy that, you know, for argument's sake, I do love a single person. And uh, I don't know where they're headed with this, though. As we've discussed before, there have been rumors. Uh, For all I know, by now, those rumors have already been paid off or dispelled or debunked. But, uh, you know, we'll get there. I don't know. I have not read ahead, I have not looked ahead, and I've avoided pretty much everything I can online that has anything to do with the X-Men. And, I mean, also, I got those weird vibes from the Scott and Lorna scene last issue, so maybe it's that. Who knows? Um, Rachel and Cable really fell into that sort of kind of playful, adversarial brother and sister mold pretty quickly. Um, Struck me a little bit weird, though. I do suppose with them all living together at Summer House, it stands to reason that they'd uh, get to know each other and get to be on each other's nerves (laughs) a bit. Um, Still, though, I can't help shaking... The feeling that they're playing a role Rather than acting like intrinsically Though, for all I know That might just be the point of it, right? Um, The Summoner Let's talk about this Summoner When I first saw the Summoner It reeked of being just another Boring Hickman character Um, I know I've made mention of those Really, really dull Antler-headed aliens from his Avengers run I'd be lying if I said This didn't strike me as similar just like I don't know, like a blank canvas boilerplate character with some identifiable bits and bobs attached with the markings and whatnot and the eyes. Hopefully it's headed somewhere, though uh, part of me thinks that the summoner might have just be like a seminal seed for the X of Swords event. Now on, on the topic there, are we saying X of Swords or Ten of Swords? Well, I mean are people saying X or Ten, because I will always be saying X. You know, it's just I never I don't think I ever said powers of ten <laughs> without, you know kind of rolling my eyes at it. I, it was always powers of X and X of swords, regardless of what it's actually called. I'm gonna be calling it X of swords unless they actually put the word ten on there. That's just me. Uh, now the merging of Krakoa and the coral was something. Uh, at least it gave us something new and felt like things were progressing a little bit. I mean, when we were halfway through the issue, when we got to, like, the staples, I was ready to write it off as, like, having no stakes, though being very well written, uh, just a chapter from an issue of X-Men Unlimited or something. Uh, Just no consequence until, you know, we hit the staples, of course. Apocalypse, uh, or, A is really growing into his role as a good guy here. Um, At least that was my take on the scene. He's a, a protector, he's a protector, and he will care for his children, who I'm assuming includes... All mutants, you know. Uh, I did like the mentions of some of the things going on in the other X-Books. You know, the opening roll call page does make mention to uh, Xavier's death in X-Force number 1. And, of course, Scott makes a reference to the New Mutants hopping aboard the Star Jammer in New Mutants. That said, however, why aren't we seeing anybody react to Xavier's assassination? Like, shouldn't that be, like, the big thing in all these books? You know, outside Magneto just saying I'm in mourning. I I I don't know I don't know why nobody is really reacting. Unless of course it's going to be hand waved away with the quickness which I really don't know how I feel about that. Um, Xavier seemed to be like the only one whose death carried any actual weight, right? That and of course the the destruction of the Cerebro helmet. Um it makes me wonder, like, was the ending bit to X Force number one supposed to be like a commentary on cliffhangers in contemporary comics? Because that's not what I signed on for. <laughs> I hope not. I mean, how about we leave the commentary for for jackasses like me and and you guys just tell good stories in the books, right? Let's let's make that deal. Uh, <laughs> overall, though, X Men number two, kind of underwhelming. Uh, for the most part, I enjoyed it uh, as just a. Odd little vignette that does inch the story a little bit forward, but I, I can't I can't say I wasn't expecting more. I definitely was uh, now before we leave you today, let's hit up some feedback here. We're going to start with a message from Damien regarding episode fourteen in which we discussed marauders number one. He says it's interesting to see you grapple with whether or not Kitty's in character. The real issue with Kitty is that she has been everything. From suburban teenage girl to ninja, from headmistress to sexy bar girl, to from agent of shield to space explorer. The problem that Jerry Duggan has is to reconcile these disparate character beats and move her into a new place. The decision to have her claim the name Kate is a clever way to signify that this is a new beginning, but comprising the team of people who share history with her shows that nothing's ignored. I'm pleased to see the characterization stem from how Kitty would react to being locked out of the X-Men. For far too long, she has been driven by writers who were trying to recreate their imaginary girlfriends from adolescence. Whedon, Guggenheim, and particularly Bendis seemed unable to write her without their personal connections getting in the way. That's an excellent point. That's a great point. Kitty has been a lot of things in the comics, and for better or for worse, she's been a lot of things to a lot of people. Uh, The first time I encountered this was during the uh, Warren Ellis run on Excalibur. Uh, I hung out on Usenet all the time. And uh, a lot of the Usenetters I'd follow, they took it as like almost a personal affront that she and Pete Wisdom were, you know, banging <laughs> They uh, they did not like that Pete Wisdom was like public enemy number one on, you know, Rack RAC Comics Arts X-Men, <laughs> whatever the hell that Usenet board was called uh, I also remember, you know, conversely, a lot of people being annoyed when Claremont came back. And, like, one of the first things he did was establish that Kitty was still only 16 years old. Which would uh, make Pete Wisdom look a little, you know, eh. Uh, you know. <laughs> uh, or just make it so those stories, you know, that those events, those bangings, <laughs> never actually happened. Um, you're definitely spot on there. I think, I think, I definitely think Kitty falls into that... You know, if you're on the D.C. side of things, uh, in the Teen Titans, that that Donna Troy mold, where readers kind of identify her as like their character in in like a maybe romantic sort of way. Uh, (laughs) Back to Damien's email. He says, I've already established that I attended Catholic school, and therefore my knowledge of Jewish customs is low. I've seen commentary that Kitty is a very Jewish name and Kate is a much more genteel, and this could be read as a rejection of all parts of her identity. Apparently it's not uncommon for people to change their name As part of a rebellion against their parents It's an interesting idea that's backed up by the absence of her Star of David necklace I think it's unintentional as there are a couple of things that happen later That imp- that imply a lack of knowledge of du- Judaism rather than a del- deliberate rejection And uh, personally, I grew up in uh, mostly Jewish neighborhoods I've told the story on the air before that on Jewish holidays You know, before they decided to just shut school down for them my classroom would be comprised of me and a substitute teacher. <laughs> but that said, I, I still don't know a heck of a lot about Jewish customs, uh, despite having basically only Jewish friends growing up. I don't know a whole lot of their customs. Um, and, you know, they didn't really know a whole lot about mine either, besides the fact that, you know, we had a tree in our house for, uh, for a month out of the year. Uh, back to Damien, he says, I've also seen people critical of Storm's presentation. One of the writers at Women Write About Comics did an article drawing attention to how pale Storm is colored. Back in the Cockrum days, she was established as a dark-skinned black woman, and in Marauder, she's being colored as exceptionally light-skinned. This seems particularly sad when, as you said, her characterization is so much better than in recent runs. Yeah, um, I can't say that Storm's skin tone was something I noticed. Uh, Then again, it's not something I would focus on. Uh, I did definitely enjoy her characterization here Because characterization is something I'd focus on I'm, you know, there's a, there's a currency to being outraged And to foment outrage And uh, to me, life's a little too short for that uh, I like the way she was characterized Is all I can say about it, um, it Yeah, moving on <laughs> <laughs> Back to Damien's email uh, One of my favorite things about this issue Is the echo of the Professor Xavier's a Jerk panel in the splash where she announces The team name and I didn't even notice that That's a great callback and uh, and a great eye uh, My favorite thing about Marauders is the setup In many ways it reminds me of the Austri- Australia era when the X-Men would travel Around helping different people The human versus mutant element makes it feel very X-Men-y and yeah totally This might be like the purest X-Men book Of the Dawn of X launch it's like the only one that actually screamed X-Men to me. Um, you know, Marauders and New Mutants, actually. But, of course, in New Mutants' case, it screamed New Mutants at me. <laughs> uh, Damien continues, The covers are pretty amazing as well. Russell Dowderman manages to create covers that are iconic pin-up pieces, as Marvel seems to like, but also which tells part of the story, which is my preference. And, yes, this had very strong and striking cover. Um... And in filing subsequent issues into, like, reading order, I've noticed that, again, it's Marauders and New Mutants that seem to have the most creative covers of this run so far. They definitely stand out as being special. Uh, Back to Damien, he says, Altogether, this is by far my favorite DOX book. I can't wait for you to read what's coming up. It gets better and better. Uh, I completely forgot to mention my theory for why Kitty can't go through the gates. Maura is trying to keep herself hidden, Kitty's power could find her hiding place, so Mora has somehow got Krakoa to block her. The only problem with this theory is that Doug would have to be in on it, which seems unlikely considering his friendship with Kitty. Which is a awesome theory that I hadn't thought of. Um, it stands to reason that Kitty can get into places that most others couldn't. So, you know, keeping her at uh, arms' reach or even you know past arms' reach is probably a very good play for Mora. That's a an awesome point. That I you know I'm. You see, like I said, I, I see symbols where they don't exist, and uh, when things are like when things almost make too much sense, I totally miss them. So, <laughs> thank you so much for your message, Damien. Um, I really appreciate you keeping up with the show, uh, especially in this new era where we're post HOXPOX. So, thank you so much. Um, we got a message from Lamar uh, on Twitter. He is uh, reading along with the collected editions Those anthology books that we talked about And he says Dawn of X Volume 1 was okay The shoe came down in X-Force New Mutants was pretty good I think I liked that the most Next to X-Men and Marauders Excalibur and Fallen Angels were passable Which, yeah <laughs> that uh, uh, Excalibur and Fallen Angels Definitely The two Betsy books Or the two Psylocke books was, you know, well, One of them isn't Betsy Ah, uh, the two Psylocke-ish books are the ones that were towards the bottom for me as well. Uh, thank you so much for following along, Lamari. I I, uh, I hope you're not regretting spending that money <laughs> on the anthologies. Um, Pat Sampson of the Longbox Crusade he says, "I just binged x lapsed episodes thirteen through seventeen today while doing work around the house. Really enjoying discovering current X-Men through you." Well, thank you so much, Pat. Uh, it really means a lot. I, you know, the the idea that I'm helping. You know, keep people company while they're doing other things. That that just uh, that makes me a lot happier than maybe it should. <laughs> I think it's one of the cooler things about this sort of uh, this sort of uh, media of podcasting. Here, it's you know, I, I get to go along with people just like people get to go along with me. It's uh, it's really cool, and uh, when you get that reminder every now and again, it uh, really does a lot to bolster your your spirits and make you. Make you see value in what you do So thank you so much for that, uh, that message there uh, It came at a time I really needed it So thank you And uh, we're going to wrap up With a message from my good friend Walt Walt Nealand Comic Reviews by Walt And he says I just dropped About $70 In online orders for Dawn of X Thanks to you, like 10 minutes ago And that always makes me nervous uh, he says, uh, "The POX B." Because I'm OCD, I'm gonna have. If I'm gonna have the anthology Dawn of X collections, I need the anthology Hoxpox volume as well, and volume seven. Plus, I can't find, so maybe I'll have to actually get volumes two and six. Uh, I've been digging X Lapsed, albeit I'm only up to episode ten, and I'm I'm sorry I'm putting these out so quick. Uh, I appreciate your behind the scenes insight on setting the issues aside and the growing stack of them, and taking the plunge and. That's something I wanted to make sure I mentioned because I think discussing the stacks is something a lot of us can relate to. And it's so weird when I think about it because I'm, I'm sitting right next to the stack right now. Uh, I actually have all, the, uh, all of the Dawn of X stuff I haven't gotten to in a short box, and it's almost full. It's almost a complete short box with maybe about four inches of empty space in it. And I, I keep thinking about, like... As, like, a, you know, late teen, early 20s, I just couldn't wait for Wednesday, you know? I couldn't wait to read everything. I'd get home from the shop, I'd read everything that day, and by the time that night was there, I'd be, like, just chomping for the next Wednesday. I was literally, like, living between Wednesdays, living for Wednesday. To the point where, I mean, I'd get annoyed if Christmas caused comic shipments to be pushed back a day late till Thursday, which is insane to me now because I mean right now Wednesdays come and go. I get my one monthly package from DCBS that more often than not just sits by the door unopened for a couple weeks. You know, the stacks just add up and it's it's weird to think about how different things are and it makes you question things, you know, like are like how much of this is out of habit? How much of this is out of just wanting? to still be a part of something that maybe you're not anymore. I, I don't know. Uh, one of the things that Reggie and I talked about a lot was uh, the, the addictiveness uh, and the compulsion of collecting. And, you know, they say there's no better research than me-search, and I think I'd be a, uh, a heck of a case to, uh, to look into because, yeah, the stacks pile up. Uh, back to Walt. He says, I've also been approaching your, th- appreciating your thoughts as well as feedback you've shared on info pages. I have to say, my biggest turn-offs to Hickman stuff was the info pages, combined with the Krakoan language and not having a key until halfway into Hawksbox, And I quit at X-Men number one for cover prices, plus info page fatigue, plus solicitations of so many titles bi-weekly. And yeah, the info pages, they're pretty dis- divisive. Here on the show uh, I'm happy to see that I wasn't completely alone in, in not digging them 100% I was afraid that I'd get a bit of clapback For expressing my frustration with them um, I think since they are so different I think the novelty of them Gives uh, It gives people a pa- People give it a pass Because it's so novel Where I just saw it as You know, I was counting how many pennies each page cost You know, so that, that kind of it's one of those things I just couldn't let go of. Um, much to, uh, you know, much to the obvious, you know, complaints that I made. Uh, cover prices and the twice-monthly shipping of the early books, I totally get it. Um, you're a lot like me where it's all or nothing, so I can definitely see quitting with, uh, with you know, the dawning of the Dawn of X. I could totally get that. And, I mean, just look at the first month. Uh, that's like 60 bucks on just X-Books in a month that... I think, what, only two of them were by Hickman? So, or if there were two of each one, so about four of them were, were by Hickman. So it was a lot of different voices with this new Dawn of X era, and, I mean, two issues of Fallen Angels, which is weird. <laughs> but, yeah, I could totally see that. Uh, Back to Walt. He says, of course, as said, and I appreciate the shout-out, the DOX anthology volumes caught me, and I really want to support the format, even though I've not actually been reading them yet. And I tell you, it's not often I give current-year Marvel any sort of credit or props, I guess, but these anthology volumes, brilliant idea. Brilliant idea. I've said it before, and I'll Sure, I'll say it again. It's a great and easy way to follow along. You can get them real cheap at in-stock trades, like forty percent off, and it gives—it kind of gives the entire Dawn of X run like a kind of evergreen feel, you know? Because you're not just collecting the first six issues of X Men. You're you're actually collecting the first six issues, or I don't know how many issues are in each anthology. I'm assuming it's six, maybe twelve for the first one, or maybe it's maybe the first one's broken up. But I mean, it just makes it feel like. You're experiencing this the way it was intended to You're not just picking little bits out It's uh, pretty cool And, uh, you know, as for buying them all individually I can't tell you how Even just ordering the books on DCBS It's a real pain in the ass <laughs> Not only do I have to dodge variant covers Which there are many, many, many And reprints, because DCBS will offer reprints And also resolicits. Um... I also got to make sure I know which books are double shipping for the month, which means I have to look at solicitations, which I don't like to do. Uh, so far in this journey, I think I want to say I messed up like two or three times ordering on DCBS and actually had to go to the shop to pick up something that I missed, or I might have accidentally ordered two copies of the same book because I mistook a variant for the next issue. And uh, it's a real pain. And uh, I mean, it, this is a total wor- first world problem, you know, but I dread. Doing the order every month because it's it's really a pain, and I'm always worried that I'm going to miss something. I'm always worried that I'm going to order two of something. It's it's not the uh, it's it's not the friendliest, uh, and it's not DCBS's fault. It's just what Marvel's putting out on the table. It's it's really hard to follow. Uh, back to Walt, he says, pretty sure X Lapse is going to get me to take the plunge soon, especially being able to binge read a bit. Whether I go in order through each TPB or cycle through each title within. I'm worried about Marvel not keeping up on the Donovanx volumes, but in looking at Amazon, it looks like there are placeholders to at least volume 16 or so, and that seemed to include the giant sized Storm issue and some Empire thing. And yeah, that's, current year, that's a risk with Marvel and DC. Because not only do they relaunch comics willy-nilly, they also relaunch collected editions by numbers and, and trade dresses and spines. And then they, they just stop them on occasion. You know, they'll just cancel it. I, I hope that for the foreseeable future, they'll be able to keep, you know, Donovex X anthologies going. Hopefully, you know, best case scenario for the whole run. Um... I think right now it's kind of hard to say what, one way or another because you know we are, we are still in the pandemic and put such a crimp on publication. So maybe we'll start seeing the lasting effects pretty soon of whether or not they're going to keep coming out. Hopefully they do. I, I don't see any reason to say they wouldn't. Um, then again, I would also haven't been looking at sales figures. Um, back to Walt, he says, While that makes me think they'll fall behind, I'll suck it up and accept it for the format. Though it occurs to me, as well as jogs my memory that you mentioned it in one of the X-Lapsed episodes, some of these should be on Marvel Unlimited by now, so I can have the anthologies for print edition series, and uh, at least for the first few issues of the new books, I should be able to read via Marvel Unlimited. And yes, definitely, I'll remind everyone that, I mean, I think it's, what, six months until it pops up on Marvel Unlimited, so... I mean, you could read everything on there and be way further ahead than I am right now. So it's a definitely a viable and cost-efficient option. If, if you can do digital, I can't do digital. But uh, if you can, hey, it's there. And uh, if you're already paying for it, you already, you, know, you already own the license to it. You don't own it, but, I mean, you, you, can, you can check it out and follow along and all that good stuff. So thank you so much, Walt. I really, it really means a lot that you're following along. And I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on on the stories. So I want to hear some of your thoughts on on House of X, Powers of X, and these early Dawn of X's. So. And, of course, that goes for everybody. I'd love to hear everybody's thoughts. Uh, even time travelers, if you didn't discover this show for several months, I still want to know what you thought about it, because uh, it's still something worth talking about. <laughs> now, if you do want to reach out, you can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics or at Weird Comics History at gmail.com. Uh, you find show notes at chrissoninfiniteearth.com or xlabs.chrissoninfiniteearth.com also the audio archives are available at chrisandreggie.podbean.com you can find all the programs uh, we just broke 350 episodes of uh, the combined you know programs there so a lot to listen to if you uh, if you like the uh, cut of my jib and uh, hey, why wouldn't you right uh, now i think that's where i'll leave it today I want to thank everybody so, so much for hanging out Even as we get into these uh, Difficult second issues uh, of Donavex. it really means a lot That there are listeners and uh, Folks willing to reach out to chat me up So thank you all so, so much And until next time, I will talk to you again Real soon, see ya